Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with Casper Jensen. Casper is the co-founder and CEO of Hello Retail. Hello Retail is an e-commerce personalization platform and it does so much more than a lot of other competing personalization platforms. It allows you to personalize your search, it allows you to personalize for your audience, it allows you to personalize product recommendations, it allows you to personalize triggered emails, but it also goes one step further and it personalizes the content journey and brand pages as well. So have a listen to the interview. I think you're going to enjoy it. This is the e-commerce edge podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello everyone. And welcome to another episode of the podcast. We have another amazing conversation lined up for you to listen to today. And I would love to introduce to you Casper Jensen from Hello Retail. He's the CEO and co-founder. Welcome to the podcast, Casper. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to having our conversation today. You were actually recommended it to me in the thread where I had asked on LinkedIn who I've missed out on the podcast and who I should absolutely have on and have a chat to. You were recommended. We connected and here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. My pleasure. Now, you guys have, before we get into, I guess, the technology and what you guys do and how you do it, let's maybe talk just a little bit about how you got to be where you are, how you even came to be in this space. You've been running a Hello Retail for over a decade now, but how, what led you to be in this space? Because I don't necessarily see anything in your background that would tell me, I love retail. I'm going to go into retail. I'm going to start a business in retail and I'm going to solve a problem in retail. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a quite fun story. But uh, yeah, to begin with, it, it's I have a co-founder and his name is Brian. And you usually say to have a good startup, you need two people. You need a hustler and a hacker. The hacker and Brian is the hustler. One day back in the, yeah, years ago, Brian was invited to a wedding and he went down to a store and he had to ask for the gift registry down in the store. And he thought it was completely stupid that you have to ask for the gift registry in the store so he thought that we should build a business where we did wish list and gift registries on the internet so he called me and we were past colleagues so we started up a business where we actually were doing gift registries and that went pretty okay to begin with we raised some money and we started up got a good team building up this this service and realized at some point that after a while the viral loop in a gift register service is really long so maybe i have a gift list that i share with you jason but it might be that you think that's a good idea but you you don't have to use it until six months later so the viral loop and the sharing and stuff like that is, is really hard to build a business around but what i realized is that what we became really good at was recommending products for you to put on your wish list. So we teamed up with a lot of e-commerces out there, and then we still simply built the recommendation engine that we are selling today and offering to the market as part of our offering. So that was where it all started. So we pivoted our service into this personalization business as we are today. Wow, what an interesting story. And it oftentimes does start with a problem or at least recognizing that there is a problem and then saying, we think we can, we think we can, we think we can solve this problem. Now, what's interesting about this is that when it comes to retail tech, when it comes to e-commerce tech, when it comes to omni-channel tech, Denmark is not super high on my list of countries that I immediately think of high-tech companies that are out there shaking up the retail world. So 
Did you feel like you were at a disadvantage based on where you were or the, the name recognition of you and your business partner? Did you feel like, hey, we're going we're gonna to have to overcome this? Or did you think, hey, we think we're in a pretty unique position here to develop something that is extremely useful across the entire retail landscape, regardless of A, where we're based or even what our target market necessarily is? I think that the pains of e-commerce is, uh, is global pains. I don't think that, especially for conversion rate optimization and building personalization solutions, it's always the same pain that we solve. So no matter whether we are offering our service to the Nordic market where we are today and in the Benelux market as well, also reached out to the US market. And uh, it's definitely that when we get a client in the US market, we see that we solve the problem equally good as we do it in Denmark and the Netherlands and Sweden and wherever we are. The problem is that is exactly what you say, that the brand of a company coming from Denmark is not as highly valued as if it came from the US. So that is one of the obstacles that we have to overcome. We could do that in many ways, right? But it's a long stretch. Yeah, but like you say, I guess also being where you're based, I lived in New Zealand for a very long period of time. Mm -hmm. And I guess similar to Denmark, New Zealand is in the middle of nowhere down in the mm -hmm. South Pacific. And now I'm based in Mexico and Mexico oftentimes plays second fiddle to the United States just by yeah. virtue of the, the language barrier and other things. The reality is that sometimes being in a remote place can actually make you more scrappy. Sometimes it can make you more hungry. Sometimes it can give you a reason to prove yourself even more than if you come from a mainstream market. And so sometimes seeing the world through a slightly different lens can actually make us more competitive. And I can see that as a strong competitive advantage based on, based on when we're given an extra obstacle. Sometimes that's the fuel we need for our fire. Definitely. I think that the biggest obstacle that, that we see here is that our product is really technical, so it requires high amount of skills and understanding, at least for the very thorough implementation. We have all sorts of kind of implementations that we can actually uh, utilize for getting all the e-commerces on it. But the thing is that when we start to talk about all the technical parts, it's really a benefit if we have good partnerships. So we're partnering up with the e-commerce and web platforms and so that makes it easier for us to validate and go to market for the US market, for instance. And that's the hard part of it because U.S. agencies and stuff like that, they don't necessarily want to work with Danish companies in the same way as they want to work with uh, U.S.-based companies. So there might be some, some things there for us to explore even further. And it might involve open up offices and hubs and so on. Makes complete sense, but obviously been in business for over a decade, so you must be doing a few things right. And you've got some very big names underneath your sitting underneath your umbrella. Now, those that haven't ever heard of Hello Retail before, and I've never used your platform before, so you'll have to just validate my thinking and my understanding of the platform based on what I've seen on your website and some of the collateral that you send mm -hmm. me. Now, you yeah. are a pers an e-commerce personalization platform, and so for those, I guess, e-commerce manager, heads of digital, etc., that are out there and listening. If they've heard of, let's say they've heard of a Nosto, or let's say they've used a Monetate, or let's say they've used an Algolia, or a Celebra mm. search, or any other search merch personalization platform out there, how does your platform differ? Or maybe how is it similar to these other platforms that are out there versus how does it differ to these platforms? 
Yeah, on the surface, it's actually quite the same that we do. Initially, we started out by offering both a recommendation engine and a search engine. And you can see that that, the, that is the way the market is going. Nosto acquired a search engine to be able to offer that as well. Golia is including recommendations in their main offering as well. So that is the way that you want it. As an e-commerce, you want to have that personalized experience throughout all of the channels that you utilize so that you don't ruin or break down the user experience. The user experience is very important so that it must feel like that when you enter into a shop, that this shop really knows you and can adapt the experience around you as a user. That's what you want to achieve. So at the surface, we offer the same the same solutions to our clients. But if you open up the engine, you would realize that, that we're doing things quite different. In the past, and the traditional way of doing personalization is to track the user and monitor, sorry, monitor the interest levels, the behavior, the products that you use, that you view, that you whatever you put in the basket, whatever you end up buying and so on and build profiles out of that. But that's not getting any easier these days because the browsers out there are getting more and more rigid. It's getting harder and harder with all the, all the privacy constraints that we have out there. And that is really something that we need to safe keep and take a stand on. So what we have done is that instead of attaching all the trackings to the user, we have done so that we are monitoring the behavior around the products and attaching all the information to the product itself. That means that we can now anonymize completely whatever tracking that is being done in the web shop and attach everything to the products. Then what happens is that when you have millions of products in your inventory, which we have from all of our customers, and we have billions of interaction points from the users to these products, and you combine all of these, and then you serve it to a really high-skilled data science team that build the AI models and train them and so on, we can extract what we call product intelligence. And product intelligence is what we believe is gonna be the next move for personalization. It means that you can actually extract a lot of information, both on the visitor and you can predict the journeys for the users, depending on very few touch points. It can even be done from the very first visit on the page. So there's lots of stuff for us to explore there. We only open up the surface now, but this is something that we have worked on for quite a while, but just launched a few months ago. And so for you guys, have you always done all those sort of multiple modules and components of search, merch, personalization, product recommendations. Mm. And obviously, based on your website, you also inject personalization into emails. I'm guessing that you you integrate with marketing automation platforms like Klaviyo, et cetera. Have you mm. always done covered the whole gamut of personalization yeah. or have you slowly yeah. built out all those components over time? We started out with recommendations as a, the initial part of our birth of, of our business from the wishlist registry. But very short time after that, we introduced the search and we introduced the personalization in the newsletters. So that triangle of products has always been in our offering. Then we have had also introduced the, the merchandising on category pages just very recently, but it's basically still a personalization and recommendation and just shown and worked with in, in a new way. Previously, we actually also had a pro product for, for personalizing banner ads. So whenever you had a banner out there and you want to acquire new customers, you could actually personalize it so that you could also use it in retention initiatives. 
the issue with that product was that there's a new player in that mix and that's where you buy your ads and the marketing agencies and stuff like that and it became really hard to justify attribution of sales and stuff like that so we removed that product for at least a while makes sense now i guess there's a couple of questions that leap to mind based on what you've said around that interaction between these different touch points on a given website. So you're absolutely yeah. right that, you know, the intelligence that you gather from, say, for example, site search, the intelligence that you gather through category merchandising, what you promote within that category and what people then click on versus what they don't what categories they actually visit, what they add to their cart, et cetera. There, there's all this intelligence across the website in terms of all the touch points that, you know, right from mm -hmm. the first landing page, whether it be a performance ad that they've landed on a specific landing page or they've organically landed on a category page, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. There's a tremendous amount of first-party data that is there just by the behavior of the visitor and what they do on the site and how they interact with the site. Now, exactly. there's also a secondary component, which is the, the historical behavior of that individual user, as well as their, their in-browser in behavior, in-site behavior, and things like, what have I added to my cart? What have I added to my wish list? What have I actually previously mm -hmm. purchased? Am mm -hmm. I doing anything to do with a quiz commerce where I'm putting forward zero-party data in terms of my preferences and making it clear what I like and what I don't like. Given the fact that it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like you are looking at product intelligence primarily, but there's a whole lot of user-specific signals that don't necessarily have anything to do with the page that they're navigating to. It's behavior that they're taking that shows intent might be adding mm -hmm. it to a wish list, might be adding it to a shopping mm -hmm. comparison, mm -hmm. compare this product versus that product on the page. Again, products that they've abandoned in their cart, products that they've purchased before. So how do you start to think about the fact that there are some very, very clear signals that would typically come from an individual user, but if you don't, if you're not taking into account the signals at the user level, that you're really looking at the product level, do you feel that there is a level of personalization that you cannot do because you are not, even in an anonymous way, based on session, assigning IDs to specific users that would allow you to personalize down to the individual as opposed to aggregating information about products and loading those as attributes against the products. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. We're still tracking the user at a level where we are allowed to do it. What we've seen from lots of other players in the space is that they are playing cat and mice and jumping through hoops to reinvent new ways for them to, to keep track of the user. And I really strongly believe that is the wrong way to go because that is not why the GDPR, for instance, is put into place. It is actually to protect the user and the privacy. And we have to acknowledge that is the way it's going. It's not getting any easier at all. But we still do track the session of the visitor. And if the customer actually accepts the tracking through the, the, the cookie consent and everything, then we will also track the user at a personal level if that's accepted. But it has to be a clear-cut case. So we do also do the user tracking, but we just have to enrich it by something new because it's not getting easier. It's getting harder and it's getting more and more difficult to, to cookie merge through different sessions and stuff like that. So we rather enrich our service by adding this new product intelligence to the mix. Makes sense. Now, you guys also say that you personalized pages, and I guess that naturally leads me to my next question is, 
which is how do you interweave the personalization of content intermingled with the commerce component? Or how do you prioritize being able to show the right content at the right time to the right customer to help them convert? Because oftentimes product recommendations on their own without supplemental information, supplemental data on their own product recommendations that are personalized can do very well. But when you start to layer on additional components of content to help the customer be fully informed to make a purchase, mm -hmm. that in itself can help increase conversion rates. So how do you guys think about content through the lens of personalization. We think about it as strong add-on to enrich the user journey throughout the and the customer and the shopping experience throughout the shop. We do have some of our customers that that leverage that and utilize it really strong and use our product recommendation and our product intelligence and all of our e-commerce intelligence as such and extract the knowledge that we have and then build the user experience from that. That can be for instance that which category banners do you want to have on your front page whenever a customer is landing on the front page, for instance? Does it have to be male products or female products? Does it have to be cheap products or it doesn't have to be more expensive goods that you put on the banner? Uh, so we do that in the in-shopping experience and we strongly recommend our customers to utilize that, but we don't want to enforce, dictate the value proposition of the shop. The value proposition of shop needs to be very close to what they want to, what they want to build. So we don't believe that there would be one algorithm to rule them all. You have to go for a shopping experience that is aligned with your, with your value proposition for the shop. So are you very brand focused? You have to focus on the brands as the brand affinity and use that as the personalization parameter. Are you very focused at pricing and discounts and so on? Then we have to use that as the position parameter below it. So it has to be aligned with whatever every other element of the shopping experience, if that makes sense. It does. Now you you actually have a product. It's a productized component of your platform called pages. And yeah. so I'm guessing that is not only category pages, but also info and brand pages. So what does that component of your platform offer uniquely to merchants it is for now only category pages actually but you just you just spoil the experience the surprise no it's not a spoiler it is actually that we are gonna launch very soon also landing pages that can be completely tailored to the users so that for instance if you go into one of our shops and you land on one of their landing pages we will be able to show your preferred brand for instance if it's for running shoes accommodated with a search engine where you have be able to search through all the products in that brand see product recommendation that will be tailored to you for that brand and so on so it, it will be a more drag and drop and building block component for landing pages the pages product that we have will have will be twofold it's for merchandising the category listing pages and it's for building up landing pages for, for acquisition and marketing and the newsletter, tying the products together with the newsletter personalization as well. And you guys don't offer your own email platform, so you're not trying to complete with, compete with the other marketing automation platforms, no. as no. I understand it. So you're not going to send the emails, but you integrate no. with popular marketing automation. And I'm guessing you also, do you also integrate with CDPs? that need to ingest some of this custom data as it relates to known and authenticated customers that have approved, uh, approved, effectively approved tracking of their behavior. Is that something that you guys also offer? Yes, it is. But that is actually part of our just launched product intelligence interface. So 
what we do with the product intelligence is that we offer all the engines and the APIs endpoints to our customers and their providers of CDP, it can be a PIM systems, whatever have you. So we'll be able to take one product and add it to the product intelligence engine and get lots of information back for it. That can be, for instance, that if you have this product and add it to our interface, you'll get the product journey back from it so that we can actually explain to our customers and, our, and their providers and so on, what journey would we recommend for this product? So what would be bought like two weeks later if you had that kind of a product? So you can use that both in CDP context, but you can also use it in PIM systems and stuff like that. So they really utilize something new in terms of product knowledge as and in a global context. So that's the way that we integrate. We don't integrate by user to user with the CDPs, but we integrate by the, they ask us, they have the user information, they have all the user journey in that point and their preferences and biases and so on. So they can ask our system, if they, this user just bought this product, what would be the best product for us to market in a new context, building up a marketing campaign or whatever have you. Makes absolute sense. Now, do you guys have, I don't see it listed here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it feels, and as I understand your platform, it is usually a custom-based theme integration that would require the likes of a development partner, an agency, to help implement, which which leads me to believe that you, you're not going to go, for example, to the Shopify app store or the big commerce app store. You're not going to see a Hello Retail app that you just click a button, install a piece of JavaScript via the app, and then Bob's your uncle. You set up a couple of placements of personalization, and then you're mm. off to the races. It feels like you're more like, for example, an Algolia level or a Nosto level implementation in that, yes, there is JavaScript involved. However, in terms of the actual, for example, product recommendation panels, and even from a search perspective, that has to be custom integrated in. You have to be able to get a product feed out from the platform into Hello Retail. Mm -hmm. It can be indexed by Hello Retail. And then you have to run effectively your logic across that feed. Then you're going to be able to provide the personalization placements within the site based on custom implementation. And the second question I have that is very tightly related to that question is, for those specific placements, let's say it's on the, I don't know, let's say it's on the PDP or it's on the cart page or the homepage, for those placements, is that an, a completely automated level of personalization or is it something to where the merchant would set up rules for each different type of placement and say, okay, in this placement, we want to, we really want to have cross-sells and upsells, or in this particular placement, mm -hmm. we want to have related products. How do we go about A, implementation, but B, how does the merchant control what type of personalization is active in a given, say, for example, widget or location? Yeah. Okay. You're absolutely right that the majority part of the integration with our software is that we get product feed with all the information there. We have a JavaScript that needs to be placed on all the pages where on your web shop. And then if you want to have recommendations on your product page, you have to place a small HTML snippet where we have to inject this product recommendation. There are actually two ways to go about it. One can be that the merchant and the agency and the developers and so on, they want to integrate it completely through API integration. That's definitely possible. But we also have this lightweight 
a way of injecting our recommendations. Design and everything is done in our backend because it has to be created from that end. And if you don't want to do it like that, then you have to do it through the APIs. And all of our solutions have two components to it. It's a design and it's a setup. And the setup actually dictates which kind of algorithms and personalization level that you want to utilize. So for instance, on the product page, if you want to have alternative products there, we definitely recommend that and have that close to the product, product description and the product image so that often whenever you land on a product page it's not that product that you want to buy after all the majority of the product page views doesn't end up in the products being added to the basket so you want to guide the user onto the next product that is an alternative to it except if you add the product to the basket so if you add the product to the basket maybe you want to exchange the alternative recommended products with upsell recommended products and you can do that you can do it either by implementing a rule for that in our system or you can do it by changing the snippet on the web shop so that we inject a new set of recommendations it's actually very flexible yes that's the way the general approach to it is and how long would you say on average it takes to get hello retail fully implemented for a merchant up and running and maybe not necessarily fully optimized but get to get them up and running to get the theme modified in such a way that all of your placements are active on the site Let's say you've got one placement on the homepage, you've got your standard category placements, you've got your PDP and cart page, which are the pretty standard placements for where you would put most personalization. And then to make sure that you've got the site search up and running and producing good results with proper weighting of all the different product attributes that you need to weight. What, what would a, a typical end-to-end -end implementation look like for you guys? Are we, talking, are we talking weeks? Are we talking months? What type of a typical implementation? The active work that we have to do to make a standard implementation to web shop is i would say into 15 hours but that's the active weight and that it has it comes with a very important detail it's very rarely that we see an implementation is just standard there's also always some custom things to it it's always so that the merchant wants some of their custom information to take part of the recommendation or be added to the rule engine that you want to build up for recommendations and so it's also so that they want some specifics in the design that has to be moved back and forth. Very lightweight to get up and running because all of the intelligence behind it is in the engine and you have don't have to do anything in terms of that. So it's fairly easy. You take the product feed, it's mapped up in the system. Our implementation crew will, in the majority of the cases, implement the recommendations and the search for you so that the templates will be done for you. And you have to go to a go live meeting with our success. When you're happy about it, we press it live and it goes live within days if it's just the standard case and if we don't have any wait time for each other. If you're very effectively, you could do it in a few days. Yeah, that's pretty typical where mm -hmm. are always expecting something even a little bit custom that's for them. Yeah. Now, when we think about some of the optimizations that are required over time and tweaks to the placements and maybe the rules that are applied to that or site search optimization and merchandising of the results pages and the category pages themselves, yeah. is it the kind of thing that you're going to start seeing success pretty early on or does it take a period of learning for the algorithm on your side to, to learn about the behavior of that site's specific customers in relation to that specific catalog or are you collectively bringing together the learnings across all of your merchants to bear even on a brand new implementation to where they head start to the implementation? Yeah, yeah. we do get a head start. That's actually one of the major benefits of our product intelligence. 
soon as you add a new product inventory to our main inventory, we'll be able to mix and match and find product products that are similar to yours and look at the behavior around those kind of products and use that intelligence to bootstrap very fast the learnings that we have about visitors around these kind of products. You don't have to, to learn that kind of stuff twice. As soon as you know it, it's it can be implemented across new customers with the same kind of product inventory as what we know already. So we don't have you don't have any waiting time for the algorithms to be bootstrapped, except if it's very niche, then it makes sense that we don't know that kind of product and need to record and learn about it, but it goes fairly quick. So usually if it's very niche, it depends on inventory. If it's very centralized, so a few of the products gets all the views and you have all of these kind of products around it that very rarely get any views and any interactions then it takes more time. But that's in very few cases where we have products that we haven't seen before and where we can't mimic behavior around it. And then we have had big corporations saying that, or asking at least, so does my intents go to my, some of my competitors? And not like that. AI models and AI learnings, it's just like a school kid. If you have math classes, you get actually better at understanding when you have English classes. So it's ability to let the AI models learn quickly and learn more traits about behavior and products and so on. That's what we utilize today. And that's how we can bootstrap it quickly without sharing any sensitive information, either about product inventories, prices, or anything like that. It's just math and data science. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, I guess most algorithms or all algorithms benefit from more data, right? So the more data that they can ingest, the more data that they can learn from, that learning can then be applied universally across the next Mm -hmm. data set that it sees that where there may be similarities between those data sets that a human wouldn't even necessarily ever see or recognize or notice the algorithm can at scale. Exactly. And it also gives you the benefit of putting yourself at stage towards the market. For instance, if we have a vertical that where we have quite good success, that's the baby shop vertical. So where you're not shopping babies, but you're shopping goods for the babies. So it's, it's strollers and it's baby jump shoes, suits and so on. And we went to them, to this, some of our primary customers there and asked them, so guys, do you know the lifetime value of your products and your customers? And they couldn't give us a straight answer to that. So we took all of their data and added to our data science team. And they figured out that there's actually, you look at the majority of the data in that space for that, that we work with, we saw that there are some pretty amazing traits that, that the customers or our customers at least didn't know about. So for instance, if you have a new customer coming to your shop, they actually have a way higher lifetime value if they start out by buying the stroller before they're buying the jump shoot, as compared to if they bought the jump shoot and then the stroller afterwards. So there's both of the customer segments bought the same two products in in different orders. So if you sell one product before the other, then you actually have a higher lifetime value on that customer segment, which is a great experience and a great knowledge to have because then you can actually tailor make your marketing campaigns towards that so that you don't want to buy customers coming in to buy that baby jumpsuit, but you want to buy customers that comes in and buy that stroller. And then you can put it on the stroller and you make all this strategy around it. So that's the product intelligence that takes the market and the information about these kind of products and utilize that in your marketing strategies and also in the personalization on the web shop. And how would you typically surface that type of 
insight and knowledge to the merchant so that they can actually utilize that as part of their overall strategy. How do you surface those types of insights to them? We do that in, in multiple ways. First of all, we're able to use that knowledge in the product recommendations of that, that we use, for instance, recommendations on the front page of a baby shop. If we add it to uh, that it should be based out of the product intelligence, it will take the products that has the best lifetime value if the customer is not seen before. So that's one part of it. Another part is that we have another feature internally in the system that's called audience, which is a segment builder of your customers. So you're able to actually build out segments of your customers that has bought the product that, that represents the highest lifetime value. We'll be able to take that, that segment of customers, use that for email marketing, or you can take it and export it to Facebook to do lookalike audiences and so on, to acquire new ones that has this high value customers. And then lastly, it is a part of our API offering from the product intelligence into the PIM systems, CDP systems, whatever have you for building up new business intelligence out there in the market. Wow. Amazing. And I'm guessing they could plummet out to other BI tools yeah, and yeah. power BI, et cetera, that then they could do the further segmentation and slicing, dicing and analytics on. Exactly. And that's our vision has changed a bit throughout the years. And where we are now, what we really want to do is we want to take a stand and use this product intelligence that we have built and unfold so many use cases out that we can really see that we'll be benefiting the market. So we want to take that and use that as a primary driver for our company to become more and more core of the e-commerce center. So we rather offer some of this to, to, to PIM systems, CDPs, supply chain software, can be for even some of our competitors that want to utilize some of the knowledge that we have around the products, because this is something that we are specialized in and we can really see that it's very special the way that we do it. And how do you guys make your money? Now you're a SaaS platform and see that you've got the three tiers, the essential, the professional, the enterprise prices starting at 150 euro a month. I'm guessing that very few of your customers are paying 150 euro a month because you're an advanced mm -hmm. enterprise class personalization platform. So how do you guys charge? Are you charging on a per module basis? Are you charging on a catalog size basis? Are you charging on a number of recommendations made basis or conversion basis? How do you guys price up your service? And how do you present that benefit to the client based on the tier that they're on? First off, the pricing is based out of the size of the business that we're working with. And usually we gauge that from the amount of orders that is going through the business and the visitors on the site, because that's what it boils down to. You want to have the visitors convert into orders. So it's not how much you use our product, it's simply how much we can help you make more money. So that's how we gauge it into different kind of tiers. We don't have pricing list because it's usually, as you also mentioned previously, there's also always some custom makings that we want to build for the customer. So if they have, you know, different kind of product information that they want to utilize and base and have as playing a part in the algorithms, then we might add a bit to the price. And so usually it's a custom pricing for the end user and how we present the value. It's really hard. Usually we always tell the customers, Hey, there's so many players in the mix. So you have to feel that this is a important, an important tool to be utilizing on your web shop. But it's, it's clear that we, of course, we have statistics in our backend so we can see how many of your orders are being influenced by product recommendations, how many of the visitors searched for something and end up buying it and so on. And I don't want to, you know, we don't want to have the argument with our customers about, but maybe the customers would buy it anyways. So it's it's an uplift. Usually we do A-B split tests to, to, to figure out exactly where the value lies. Yeah, there's multiple ways of doing it, but it's 
the need for the product that we offer today for the e-commerces is commoditized. So the needs for it, everybody knows it. We don't have to educate anybody to know that they need a search engine on their website. Don't need to educate anybody that they need recommendations to guide the user for for the best possible shopping experience. Absolutely. But just as a guide, just so that the listeners have a bit of an idea, what would the average what would the average merchant that you're working with be paying a month? Let's say they've got a 10,000 product catalog and they're doing 30,000 orders a month, so roughly 1,000 orders a day over a given month. Would they be paying, are they paying $1,000 a month? Are they paying $10,000 a month or 10 euro a month? What would be the average that most of your merchants would, would be paying for the full suite of solutions that you offer? The full suite of solutions per feature, I think that typical customer or client of that will be for per feature $1,500 per month. So you end up paying like five to 6,000 per month for the full suite. Okay. Yep. That's in line to, from my perspective, that's completely in line with enterprise personalization. When you think about the fact that you've got the search and merch and you've got the personalization all sitting in the one platform, cross-pollinating data and learnings with each other module within the platform, then I could see that presenting a, a great value for the merchant and their customers slash users. And so really at the end of the day, this is an enterprise class software and it's enterprise class personalization and enterprise software is never cheap, but it always presents good ROI if it's been implemented properly and leveraged fully. Makes sense. Makes absolute sense. Now we're coming down to the end of our time together. And I really, really appreciate Mm -hmm. you sharing all of your experience with me and with the audience. Mm -hmm. We're getting to the point where I get to turn over the microphone to you. I get to flip the script. I get to to get you to ask me one question, any question you like. It can be personal, it can be professional. And really, this is a chance for you to ask me something that you think would be beneficial to you and or your business. So I'd love to hand the microphone over to you, Casper Jensen from Thank you. Uh, Hello Retail, helloretail.com. Mm-hmm. What is your question yeah. for me? Okay, um, so Jason, Given that the privacy regulations for tracking users on the internet and the personalization of e-commerce experiences is getting harder and harder to utilize, where do you see the shopping, personalization shopping experience go in the next couple of years? Is it that you will see more and more live shopping where, where, where you live shop at the, with the merchant? Is it that you see new channels be brought to life? Is it that we have to reinvent how we shop or do we surface at some point and utilize new technologies? Where do you see that personalization of shopping behavior going? Look, I think we're going to continue to see a bifurcation. And what I mean by that is I think the European approach to privacy is insanity. That's my personal opinion. And many people may agree with, disagree with me. I think the Europeans have just gone, they've just gone loony with GDPR and all the other things. I think that it actually, unfortunately plays in the favor of the very, very largest companies that in theory were supposed to be reined in by GDPR. They're the very largest companies, the Googles, the Facebooks, the, the apples of the world, they actually have the resources to be able to create even deeper and taller walled gardens with the amount of zero and first party data that they have access to and with the way that they're embedded into people's lives, it actually empowers them in some ways more than it does the small guys, which it was GDPR was always designed to create a much more level playing field between all tech companies and to respect 
users' privacy. That was the straw man theory behind it. But what we see is it's actually made people's life much, much harder. It's mm. created massive issues for data domiciling. For example, if you're in Europe and you want to use a CDP platform, you pretty much almost universally have to use a CDP from Europe. So you don't have access to exactly. some of the best te best technology in the world because in Shopify, for that matter, being hosted in the United States, it's, it's questionable whether merchants in Europe should even be able to use Shopify because they don't have hosting in Europe. And so I think that there is a, a incredible amount of, of hypocrisy in our industry around privacy and personalization. I think that for the most part, in my experience, and again, this is just one man's view, one man's probably very unpopular opinion in some respects, I don't think consumers give a shit about privacy. I, I just don't think they do. I think they give a shit about convenience, and I think they give a shit about user experience and removing a friction, and I think they just don't care about privacy. And I think that there are some very unique niche cases and unique niche countries that care about mm -hmm. privacy, but I think on mass. Most people, hmm. most consumers care more about convenience than they do about privacy. And that's been shown with all of the personal data that people give out and they carry around a tracking device in their pocket. And th there's just, there's a lot of data out there to show that people do care about convenience more than they do about privacy. Now, there hmm. are exceptions to that rule, and I'll give you one example. So if you look at Europe as, there's no, Europe is not a homogeneous whole. We've got separate countries, we've got separate languages, we've got separate cultures, and they behave very differently in regards to privacy. So if we look at Germany, for example, I have never experienced a group of people, and I have many German friends, that are so, I guess, anal about their privacy. You can even look across forms as simple as Instagram, and you can see how private Germans are. The vast majority yeah. of German accounts are private, set to private. They are not set to open. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of those accounts, the Germans, when they put up photos of themselves, will often be from the back or from the side. They don't like to show their face. They're just, they're really hyper-focused on privacy. But then you look at some other cultures in Europe that are very, very open. You look at some Spaniards and you look at some of the Italians and you look at other people that are just, they seem to just really not care about privacy to the same degree as Germans. And so I think yeah. to create one rule, to rule them all, doesn't really make sense. And no. it just doesn't work. We're trying to create these homogeneous global privacy systems and laws. And what we're ultimately going to end up doing is completely destroying the customer experience at the end of the day because it will not be personalized down to that individual to the same degree that it was historically. And I think that because of that, we're already starting to see that ads are not as effective because they're not personalized to the way that they used to be. And so exactly. you're going to still, you're going to see the same number of, it's not like the number of ads out there are going to decrease. They're just going to be less specific to you. And so now I'm going to, I've always seen shitty ads, but now I'm just going to see shittier ads because they can't use all of my demographic data and all of my personal data. Data. And so I think that there needs to be, I think that there needs to be a, a kind of almost a global opt-in where your information about yourself is held on the blockchain and then you selectively choose which mm. sites and where you want to use this data and where you want this data to be used to personalize for you on a global scale, which is what Apple's tried to do on a micro scale mm -hmm. at the app level to where they can, whether apps can track you or not. That's a very clunker, clunky user experience. And when most people are presented with the message in the way that Apple gives it, you're going to, you're going to say, no, I don't want that. But it's also in about how it's messaged and how it's presented to you. So my <laughs> sense is, my sense is that 
a certain, and we've seen Google already push back the death of third-party cookies about five or six mm. times now. I think there, there actually wasn't anything wrong with cookies. And I think that privacy implications or the benefits of eliminating third-party cookies are actually pretty minimal for the end consumer, but it's made it a hell of a lot harder for tech companies. It's made it a hell of a lot harder to have continuity across the web. And it's actually breaking the web in many respects. I don't know where this ends. The short answer is I have no idea where this ends, but it's insanity from through my lens. And I've been, look, I've been in this game for over 20 years. And mm. I think it's just both as a consumer myself and as someone who works in the industry, I think this effort at chasing privacy is a red herring in many instances. And it's just lunacy. But again, it's, we're not going to roll it back. It's going to continue to get worse. And so there will have to be technology, whether it be cookie exchanges where first parties are sharing their data, where they get, where they're sharing first party cookies across a cookie exchange or something like that. There's going to have to be a solution here that is universal, that is global, and that still gives power to the people of just exactly how much levels of opt-in they want to have. But this whole, I never thought cookie pop-ups, for example, were a good idea. Not, there's data that shows that something like 99.8% of people click yes when they have a cookie pop-up. So why, yeah. would we want, why would we want to interrupt the experience of the whole goddamn internet? over something that, that nearly 100% of people say yes to at the end of the day. We've gotten more more elaborate with our cookie notifications to where they take up the whole screen now because of the amount of information they've got to tell the customer that they're collecting. But if, if they're almost 100% of the time going to say yes anyway, why would we destroy the experience for everybody over that? It makes no sense whatsoever. And it feels like massive bureaucratic overreach. And that's where I sit on this subject. But the shorter answer is I have no idea how ridiculous this is going to get at the end of the day. No, I completely agree. It's, it's basically on, on the cookie pop-up. It's just becoming lemming effect behavior. Everybody just clicks that OK button to have that ridiculous pop-up just disappear and continue. It's basically on the mobile. It's such a pain in the ass. But the thing is, that it is. even though that this is the way it's going, and maybe if we are going to surface in terms of personalized shopping behavior and shopping experiences, somebody have to invent technology to make sure that we still can provide this personalized experience, or at least as optimal as possible to nurture that good experience. It's absolutely a challenge. Absolutely a challenge. Now, listen, it, it, again, as I said, it's been a fabulous uh, opportunity to chat with you and learn from you. And you've been in this game for over a decade. So, you know, you've got mm -hmm. a lot of information to share. If people want to learn more about Hello Retail, they just best to go to helloretail.com, schedule a demo mm -hmm. from there, browse your website, learn about all your solutions. Is that the best way for people to find you? Yeah, definitely. Go there and find a way to get in touch. And we'll be happy to demo whatever we have. We'll be happy to, uh, to give you a round tour on what we can do for you and how we can make that optimal optimal conversion rate optimization the journey of your shop even better that's what we claim to do at least awesome thank you casper i really appreciate your time casper jensen hello retail i look forward to having you on the podcast again in the future as you build out the hello retail platform for e-commerce thank you so much are you a b2b or d2c e-commerce merchant then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business